Hey, I'm talking to all you football fans who want every live game every Sunday afternoon but can't get DirecTV because you live in an apartment or big city. Your prayers have been answered. Now you can stream NFL Sunday Ticket on your favorite devices, no satellite required. Get every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon. Go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv now to see if you're eligible and make 2020 your best season ever. Pro tip, use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined today by the Ringer's Nora Princiati. A deep dive of news items coming to you, including the Jacksonville Jaguars, who cut Leonard Fournette, couldn't find a trade partner for him. Doug Marone told everybody they were trying to find a trade partner, and there were no takers for a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, and that was kind of a dig at Fournette on his way out. And then on Sunday, they did find a trade partner for Yannick Ngakwe. It's the Minnesota Vikings. Two picks coming to Jacksonville. Ngakwe taking a $6 million restructure in order to get out of Jacksonville. Neither of these moves necessarily have anything to do with the 2020 bottom line for the Jaguars. I think they were going to be bad no matter what. If anything, it puts kind of a bow on an era of Jaguars football that I guess you could say started in 2017, maybe 2016. Uh, where they put together a very talented team that we can't say it was an out-of-nowhere AFC Championship game participant team because when you look at the talent and you look at that roster, there was a reason they were there. But it was definitely one of the more unexpected runs and one of the most unexpected follow-ups on those runs where the team basically fell apart in the ensuing years. Almost all of the talent left, and that continued with Ngakwe on Sunday. Uh, Leonard Fournette is a symbol of something else. He was drafted in the top five. He was not a quarterback. They rolled with Blake Bortles. That's a separate conversation we'll get to later. However, I do want to address that we talk about Derwin James in this episode, and we couch it by saying we don't know the severity. So there's a little bit more of an opening that there could be some optimism that Derwin James's knee injury is not serious. However, after we stopped recording, James was diagnosed with it with a knee injury that's going to keep him out six to eight months. He's going to need surgery. So the tone of our conversation remains the same. The outlook on the Chargers remains the same. It's just we know now what this looks like. And the things we say later in this conversation about the Chargers and how this is kind of one step towards a, a, a bad season for them in a year where I think things could have gone right for them if they had gotten the breaks, Nora agrees. Uh, we, are, we now know a little bit more about that. So James out six to eight months. Very, very serious. And uh, after what happened last year and having seen James on a football field, both in college and pro, we know what a dynamic player he is. It's nothing short of a, of a football tragedy that he is um, going to miss a second straight season, or at least the majority of a second straight season since he, he played uh, five games last year. Now, one more item that broke after we stopped recording. Uh, Andy Reid and Brett Veach signed long-term extensions in Kansas City. Not a ton to break down here. When you have... One of the best play callers in the sport, one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen in decades. I don't know where you'd put that as a separate conversation. And the GM who makes it all work and fits everybody under the cap. When you've got those three ingredients, you keep those. This offseason, they've been able to basically keep every important person together in Kansas City. That continues. So there's not a whole lot of analysis needed here. If, if you got a chance to keep Andy Reid and Brett Veach around, you do it. Okay, on to the show. I want to start out with the biggest news of the day, 
which is we just found out that producer Isaiah, our valuable producer here on the Ring Around NFL show, is a Jaguars fan. He grew up in Michigan, looked at the Lions and said, no, thank you, which is, is not uncommon when you're growing up in Michigan. But then he looked at the David Garrard MJD Jags and said, these are my guys. And so he had, we had some really good discussion about the state of the Jaguars before we started here. And that's where we want to start, Nora, is the 2017 Jaguars are officially dead. Welcome to the funeral. Um, the weirdest team that competed over the past decade has been officially disbanded. Uh, Leonard Fournette has been cut. Yannick Ngakwe has been traded to the Minnesota Vikings. We will get into all of the ramifications of those two moves, but I want to start first with Fournette. Uh, Nora, pretty obvious reasons to cut Leonard Fournette. James Palmer had this. He was one of 10 running backs with 600 or more carries since 2017. His 3.95 yards per carry was second lowest. Only Carlos Hyde was lower. Carlos Hyde catching a stray here. Nora, surprise about Leonard Fournette? No. I mean, they. it was sort of out there that they were trying to trade him. Um, I think Doug Marone said today, Adam Schefter tweeted this, we couldn't get anything, a fifth, a sixth, anything. We couldn't get anything. So I think there had been some attempts made. It didn't go the way they wanted. Just an overall downward trajectory, both for that relationship and for that team, which which reached its high point in that AFC Championship game. And it's it's not good. You, not you were there time. for it, correct? I was there during yeah, I was there Tom well. Brady slashing his hand open mania. Man, Kevin. If if Miles Jack yeah. had been down, would we be having a different conversation right now? Nora, just so the listener knows, I took a, a sip of coffee as you were discussing Miles Jack being down. I knew the can of worms it was going to open. And so I choked on it a little bit and I just did about 15 seconds of coughing. Uh, there's some real debate in Jacksonville over whether or not Miles Jack was down, but we're not going to get into that. I'm going to let you handle Jaguars Twitter and I'm going to move on. Now, the final four quarterbacks in 2017, so January of 2018 in those playoffs, were Tom Brady, who is routinely in the Final Four, but then Blake Bortles, Nick Foles, Case Keenum. The Jaguars were a team built on a premise that was, its time was very short. And that is that you could win with a really great defense, with just enough offense, and there were some things that aged really poorly with how that team was built. Number one is obviously they drafted Leonard Fournette in the top five. Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson were on the board. There are a lot of teams that made that mistake. We won't go down that rabbit hole one more time. But the next year is 2018. Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson's healthy after his 2017 uh, Sterling debut. Lamar Jackson comes into the league, starts playing in 2018, obviously doesn't really become the superstar until 2019. But you start to look at the game just changing and passing stats and passing volume even more. I mean, there was a passing boom from 2011 to 2018 that went down in 2018, but then a new generation picked up the reins in 2019. That looks like it's never going to stop again. But the Jaguars were just a team built out of its era and they got, they overachieved. They did well considering the circumstances. I guess you could say if, if that call had been uh, different, they would have made the Super Bowl. And I remember being in that press box and thinking they were going to make the Super Bowl. 
and I was getting ready for an Eagles, a Nick Foles, Blake Bortles Super Bowl. And, I, you know, I just, I think we're going to look back on this team and have to explain to a lot of people why that game was happening and why the Jaguars went into Pittsburgh and put up a ton of points and won, why they played Tyrod Taylor in the first round of the playoffs at, at a home playoff game. I mean, it was one of the strangest things I've seen since I've started the league, uh, started covering the league. And now that entire team essentially was dismantled. Uh, t- there were, Evan Silva pointed this out, there were six pro bowlers in that defense of 2016, Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, Malik Jackson, Telvin Smith. Uh, all of them have gotten different values. Jalen Ramsey commanded a huge haul, and I think that was actually probably a good trade for Jacksonville. Uh, Calais Campbell got the fifth-round pick. Uh, Malik Jackson left as a free agent. Yannick Ngakwe, however was traded on Sunday for two mid-round picks. And I'm curious, from a Viking standpoint, Nora, what do you think? You know, it's funny because we've talked a lot about how the NFC North is just kind of, I think it's very mediocre. I'm not super inspired by anyone in there, but I think it's smart in a situation where there is an opening, you know, where I, there's no one where we're predicting, oh, they're going to run away with that division. I like that they're going for it. I like that they're taking a big swing and, mm-hmm. you know, adding a playmaker to a team that the reason that I don't love the Vikings is because I think their weaknesses are on the offensive line and in the secondary. And those are just two areas where if I have, you know, worries about a team's roster, that really gives me concerns because I think that those are the more stable areas of good teams. That said, there's some real talent at the skill positions. Mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins is is a solid quarterback. They've made some really smart moves just in the in the construction of the roster. You wrote about how smart they've been with contracts this week. And the pass rush could be really, really good. And when you're not competing against, you know, they're not in a division with the chiefs. I think taking a big swing is super worth it. And particularly because, you know, you get a guy who's super motivated to leave his old team. They're paying him 12 million this year instead of Jacksonville paying him 17.8 million on the franchise tag. So why, I mean, it seems like a great move to me, frankly. It's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal piece of business to give up two mid-round picks. You cannot extend him because the deadline has been passed, but you can readjust uh, the contract. You can restructure the contract. So he takes $12 million, essentially not play for Jacksonville anymore. And one of the things that I think is important that I've heard from GMs in the past is that when you become a good team, you get breaks like this. And it just builds on itself. And the guys want to be in this locker room. They don't want to play in a place like Jacksonville. AJ Boye came out and I, I think it was serious radio. He talked to in March and he said that he had never quote, I've just never seen that before when talking about fighting in the locker room, disagreements, just sort of open, you know, open tension and, and just what was going on in the locker room. I don't think from what it sounds like from people like AJ Boye who've been there, it sounds like people just don't want to be there right now and they're rebuilding and they're not going to reach the heights they did a couple of years ago. And I think that a team like the Vikings, where guys want to play for Mike Zimmer in that defense, there are really good players around there. And, you know, I remember talking, and this is a bad example because he got fired eventually. 
But I remember talking to John Dorsey about this, and oh, he, he built a good a good Chiefs team. But he made a bunch of trades for veterans in 2017 when he took over the Browns. He traded for a couple ex-Packers and and just guys who were solid. I said, why'd you do that? Like, why, why are you accelerating the timetable? And he said, because otherwise you're going to have to overpay for everything because guys don't want to come to a loser. They want to come to a winner. And they want to play with people they know and they don't want to play with a bunch of people who who are – you know, unproven or a bunch of guys who were just playing to see if they can get playing time or or they're tanking in the case of some of these teams. But if you're the Vikings, Yannick Ngakwe took $6 million less to play for you. And that's important. And that that's the sign of a good organization. Now, the Vikings, you talked about the offensive line. That might get worse if they cut Riley Reef, who is up for, I guess, for a structure because of this. They're right up against the cap. The Vikings, the Saints, and the Chiefs are the holy trinity of kicking the cap down the road and making everything fit financially. But I feel like having to cut Riley Reef two weeks before training camp would be a bit of a detriment. Nora, NFC North, prediction time, go. I would at this point pick the Vikings. You're going to pick the Vikings. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay, so I, I'm also picking the Vikings. And I think, and this is me with the Texans too, I feel like there's a wisdom of the crowds thing here that I'm missing. Like, I understand Stefan Diggs is really important. I understand that Everson Griffin was really important. Just emotionally, I remember I was on the field before the Niners-Vikings game, and Everson Griffin, like, he was the guy. He was yelling at people. He was yelling at people on the sidelines, for instance, like me. I didn't know who I was, just kind of yelling at people and saying, get ready. Um, and I, that was, I don't see that very often. But I think that, they their ability to have continuity before Yannick Ngakwe was uh, acquired yesterday. Every single player that was projected to start on their defense had been drafted by them, and that was almost the case on offense. Obviously, Reef came from somewhere else. Kirk Cousins came from somewhere else, but they know how to build from within. They know the structure. Gary Kubiak was not offensive coordinator last year, but he was an assistant head coach, and he they, they, the Kubiak principles were in place generally. Mike Zimmer has been doing the same stuff on defense for a long time. So I think that there's a real case to be made that they can improve or at least stay similar to what they were last year, which is a team that lost in the divisional round. And if I expect a little bit of regression from the Packers, and I do, I think both of those teams are kind of in the 10-win, 11-win range and then just something happens late in the season and and that determines it so i'm picking the vikings but not with a ton of confidence yeah this move was really helpful just from a my own confidence and in, in my picks perspective just because yeah. emotionally i would sort of rather take the packers but i think when i really look at it overall i think this is a stronger roster and then they just it's so helpful sometimes when teams will just go out and do one thing and and you can say, okay, well, now I'm more confident in making this pick. So that's a total <laughs> cop-out, but that's why I'm picking the Vikings. There's a lot of those. And we're going to get to one a little later in the show. I would say the Patriots opt-outs are in that bucket where I was like, man, totally. now I get to finally, finally pick against the Patriots. There's some NFC East stuff that we'll get to a little bit later. But yeah, it's it's... I feel like even though I'm a little bit wary of saying any one defender makes a huge difference in a weird way, this is this is giving me much comfort to, to pick the Vikings here. Generally, I don't want to do any more Vi Jaguars talk, but we're going to just to get it out of here. Uh, Jaguars inside track of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, certainly the inside track, right? I mean, they have six picks in the first four rounds. Now it's two first rounders. 
second, third, two fourths. The thing I would say is things can change. Obviously the draft's a long way away, but you kind of got to be the worst team in football for that. So uh, with the caveat that all the draft capital in the world doesn't really matter if there's a team ahead of you and they want to draft him. I would say that, yeah, if I had to choose a team, certainly them. Yeah. And again, it's going to be a weird draft in the sense that there will be no Joe Burrow this year, or if there is, it will, there will be less data behind it because quite frankly, there's just less games and less teams playing. So there won't be a guy who we're not talking about in August who by December is a runaway first overall pick. So that helps guys like Trevor Lawrence and, and Justin Fields. And, you know, a guy like Trey Lance will play one game in the fall from what I've read. And so it's going to be a weird time for quarterback valuation. So I'm guessing Trevor Lawrence is the guy and I'm guessing that uh, I can't wait for the first do the Jaguars roll with Minshew if they have the first overall pick story. I feel like maybe around Halloween. Yeah, that that feels right. Or like it feels right. Well, er, maybe early, early November. Movember yeah. uh, Gardner Minshew's yeah. big month. Well, there'll be a lot of Halloween costumes for Gardner Minshew if Halloween happens. We'll just that's something to monitor. Halloween is um, so canceled. Halloween is I'm not I'm not opti- optimistic about Halloween happening. The stuff any, is in the grocery way. stores now, though. It's insane. There's Halloween stuff in the grocery stores. Yeah, it's 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 August still. Technically, we're recording Monday afternoon. And by Tuesday yeah. morning, the switch is going to have flipped across Calendar America flips. and everybody's just going to be wearing like there's pumpkins everywhere. I didn't know. About which hats, Thank you for telling me which hats. Um, yeah, no, it's Halloween mode. OK, so. Last thing on the Jaguars, I mean, I I can't tell if that era of Jaguars football was a success. And what I mean by that is that they're just, they've not been a great franchise. There's no secret there, even though Isaiah picked them because he loved David Garrard and MJG. They have not historically been a phenomenal franchise. Uh, NFL Research said this, they've made eight picks in the top five in their franchise history. And only three of those players received a second contract. Blake Bortles, Kevin Hardy, and Tony Baselli. The fact that they gave... The Blake Bortles thing is a little interesting because some of it had to do with with the cap, but they still committed to Blake Bortles when there was a chance they, they could have moved on from him. They got mixed up in some cap situations where you know they signed Clayus Campbell for big money, they signed Malik Jackson for big money, AJ Boye, but... At one point, they were flying, man. And and Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Boye were the two best cornerbacks statistically in football during that season. It was an unbelievable defense. And they were a couple breaks away from the Super Bowl. It ended. But I think that as far as, you know, going from the depths to success, uh, it was not a bad team-building job. I would just say keeping that success going was a colossal failure. That, that, that part of it was really bad. And that's, that's a huge, huge part of building a football team is being able to extend that. And if you do have cap problems, operate more like the Saints and the Chiefs and the Vikings and figure it out instead of just letting everybody go and then letting A.J. Boye give interviews to SiriusXM where they said that everybody's fighting in the locker room. So next time the Jaguars have this, maybe operate a little bit differently. They should call you. You'll, get, you'll give that advice. They should call me. They should call me to say whatever you guys did last time. Don't do that. That would be helpful. I actually, I wish I had a person that I could call just for that and say, "Hey, remember when I did?" And they could just say, "Yeah, don't, not, never again." Um, but it is interesting in a way that you know Gawkway ends up 
getting traded to the Vikings because this is a little bit of a stretch, but the Vikings, you talked about how many of their picks are on second contracts for them. It's a little bit like the alternate universe good version of what we all wondered if the Jags were going to be able to navigate Mm. when they had all those players, right? Because the big question back then was, wow, this is such a fun team. They're overperforming. It's a blast to watch. The defense is incredible, but how are they going to pay all these guys when they need to pay them? Now, I would argue that more things went wrong than just running into cap trouble, but watching the Vikings, what they're doing, and it helps that they have a good quarterback, obviously, but Mm -hmm. navigating the waters of kind of retooling your roster, but remaining competitive, it goes to show how difficult that actually is, but it's also impossible. how important getting those little breaks like a player being willing to take 12 million instead of 18 are. Because I think the difference between those paths is actually a little bit narrower than it it seems like an incredible chasm. But, you know, it, it just shows you that these things are hard. Yeah, it's it's almost impossible. And I don't want to make this a Patriot show, but it shows you... The fact that they were so good at managing mid-level veterans and retaining cap flexibility for so long, I mean, it was it's legitimately unprecedented how, how they were able to be window-proof for as long as they had Tom Brady. And I think there are certain... I think that with the defense and, and all that stuff, without the opt-outs, they probably would have continued that window. I just think it's a little bit different this year. But again, I don't want to do the Patriots thing. Otherwise, we can talk about the Patriots for, for, for 30 minutes. Okay, Derwin James. So let's not overreact, but the Chargers have said that he left. I get we all know this. He left practice on Sunday, and they used basically the same wording they used a year ago this time when they had a foot stress fracture. And they said he'll be evaluated. Of course, the treatment will be determined. James missed the first 11 games of the season. This is according to Daniel Popper, who pulled the, first, the initial statement last year. So he's got another injury. I'm getting worried about it. So Derwin James is, to me, a top 10 most fun player to watch in the NFL. I think when he's healthy, he's the best safety in football. I saw a stat when I was doing some research on this that when Derwin James was healthy in 2018, his passer rating allowed to tight ends was 21. The NFL average, this is according to Pro Football Focus, the NFL average was 104. It's pretty good. Nora, the Chargers. Yeah. Well, so it's funny that you say the Chargers. I'm one, my take on this is that I'm sad. Yes. I don't mean to overreact. We said we weren't going to do that, but I'm We're sad. not going to overreact because it's possible that the right knee injury that he has... Is not all that's maybe it's just a tweak and he's out there next week. It could be. I mean, I think it's it's so I think he's getting a second opinion. Um, Adam Schefter had that, but it yeah. seems like the low end is that he would need a meniscus trim, which would be a few weeks. But we're talking about weeks or months. Yeah. So it's not nothing. And it's not what you want. It's just not what you want. However, I, I will say. I am mostly sad for Derwin James. I am then sad for us because yes. he's incredibly fun to watch play football. And all the char- and all the Charger fans in Los Angeles. 
Okay, I know you're here to dunk on the Charger fans. However, have you seen that they've just been Bernie Sanders memeing to death their official Chargers account? I've missed this. So whenever, uh, before they did the Bosa deal and then... Oh, yeah, I did see this part, yeah. It, they're just a daily onslaught. And now it's it's Keenan Allen. The... um. I am once again asking you to extend yeah. Keenan Allen. I think it's hysterical. So I want to be on record here. Chargers fans get a lot of hate for not existing. I don't know if that's hate or whatever else that would be, but I'm very proud of them. And I think it's a good bit. And we acknowledge good bits on this show. So we do acknowledge good bits. We love a good bit. I was in San Diego over the weekend and I am against them leaving. San Diego, I, in San Diego, I, nice. I took it all in. I took it all in. I saw the sights in San Diego, and I don't think they should have left. This is my professional opinion. Um, okay, Wait, so, sorry, I got I got sidetracked by by proving that the Chargers have fans and that they're good on on oh, Twitter. What I was going yes. to say was that my sadness for the Chargers as a team, frankly, is kind of behind Derwin James and us because I don't know that they're a playoff team really either way maybe okay so so they have they go from philip rivers to Toronto taylor and i think when i look at their roster that they've got enough pieces to get in the mix if you had a healthy derwin james playing at his 2018 level if you had Chris Harris, Linval Joseph, all of these nice little pieces. I like their roster building. Obviously, Joey Bosa, some of the blue chip guys that they've drafted. I like their pieces. But if you go, if you don't have elite quarterback play, and I really like Taylor, but I don't think he's elite. If you don't have that in this era, you have to have everything else break right. And this is the first step towards things not breaking right. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with that sort of conceptually, I just, no matter how good he is, it's, it's hard for me to feel like one defensive player is, is going to swing I, I that, I, but well, I, I, yes and no. I mean, defense is a weak link thing, right? Like if you, if yeah. you have someone who's not Derwin James and he's that, that's just, even if you acquire someone or whatever, even if it's a long-term thing, it's just not, it's not the same. So I, I think it's, it's that a uh, couple of people have pointed out just how many terrible injuries the Chargers have had to start the season 2017 Mike Williams Denzel Perryman Jason Verrett 2018 Joey Bosa was out 10 games Hunter Henry out for the entire year um last year Derwin James Russell Okun this year Derwin James I mean it's this team cannot figure out the injury situation and I I don't know what that is and I, I you know I think that they have always been a roster who have been more talented than than they've played. I mean, listen, you want to talk about breaks. I mean, they were in the, I think that sometimes we, we forget about these teams that push really good teams or limit. That's almost like the 2017 Jaguars, right? Where they, they didn't get there. And so they become a footnote to history. Two years ago, this team was right there with the chiefs, right there with the chiefs. And, and no one seems to care anymore. And they fell out of favor last year and there's almost no buzz about them. And I think that this is a team that at some point, if they ever got all of their pieces healthy and they got a good quarterback play, I think that they could compete. I just think that, again, this is the first step towards, oh, my God, it's another Charger season. Yeah, I'm sad. Speaking of injuries, 
that swing things. Let's talk about the NFC East. So Andre Dillard, who I was on Mina Kimes' show last week, and I don't actually know how much we talked about this on air, but we discussed Andre Dillard as a candidate who would be really important to the Eagles' chances if he just took a step forward because I loved him coming out of college. Loved him. I thought he was athletic. I thought that he was just the perfect modern lineman. He wasn't as good as maybe I anticipated last year, but he's their left tackle, and he tore his bicep at practice on over the weekend. He's out for the season, obviously. Uh, Adam Schefter said he was, quote, dominant in camp, and you already lost Brandon Brooks, who was, I think PFF had him as like a top five player overall in the yeah. entire league, Brandon Brooks. So... The Eagles, to me, and they were a team I picked to make the Super Bowl last year, I looked at their roster, even though everybody was mad at their draft, I looked at their roster and said, this is a team that can still really win the NFC East, especially if you buy the theory that I've convinced myself of, which is it's really hard to become a new coach this year. I really like them in the NFC East, and I'm increasingly not liking them in the NFC East. Nora, help me make up my mind. Well, I mean... I've made up my mind. I would pick the Cowboys. You can jump on that bandwagon if you would like to. Oh, I was going to go with the Giants. I just love, I love what Joe Judge is doing. Yeah. I mean, so I was never as high on the Eagles as you were, but it's not good. Um, I think they moved Jason Peters back to, to Dillard's spot at yeah. left tackle, but that's just a lot of attrition. And beyond that, I mean, they have no, no depth. Now you have a whole you have a whole guard now. Well, right, and I don't see them on the same sort of level as Dallas. I didn't really to begin with, but I I I really don't now that we're starting to see some of these injury problems. So they vary in seriousness, and obviously some of them are just you know little tiny things. But Zach Berman, our friend here at the Ringer, I don't know if he's your friend. Is he your friend? He, no, he is my friend okay. because he's my friend. We, he's my we friend. We covered all those um, Eagles beat guys, the Patriots yeah. Eagles Super Bowl. We spent a lot of time in frigid Minnesota together. Love that. Love that Eagles beat. Okay. So he tweeted this the other day and I can't stop looking at it. At this moment, the Eagles are now practicing. This is on August 30th. So this was on Sunday. At this moment, the Eagles are now practicing without their top picks in the last five drafts Jalen Rager, Andre Dillard, Dallas Godert. Derek Barnett, and Carson Wentz. So, look, some of those are not serious. Andre Dillard is out for the season. We don't necessarily know about Jalen Rager, except we know that it's not serious. There was some, a little bit of panic on Sunday, but it seems he tweeted he was going to be back soon. I, I think there's some optimism there. Carson Wentz can be fine. But the Eagles have gotten some really bad entry luck, and it's kind of funny, funny being relative here. I, I was looking at some of the injury luck stuff from a couple of years ago, and the Eagles were one of the healthiest teams in the NFL. And it, this just happens is the injuries are, are random and I don't, you know, they keep switching out their medical staff and don't necessarily know what, what, what that does. I, I literally don't, I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if changing your medical staff works or not, but I do know that this is just getting into a, a territory where I just don't think that they have the depth. And one of the reasons that the Eagles to me are one of the, best run teams in the NFL is their ability to build their roster almost flawlessly. And that was the reason they were able to overcome Carson Wentz tearing his ACL during an MVP season is that the cap was just flawlessly managed. They were able to 
build through both of the lines. I've told that story before about how basically someone in Philadelphia made fun of me for for thinking that they won because of analytics or whatever. And the person was like, no, they they we won because we built up the lines and the analytics are about 50th on the list of reasons they won. But I just think that, uh, yeah, just I'm just getting a little concerned about their ability when you just look at this, this Cowboys team. Now, Todd Archer said yesterday for the second straight practice, um, Amari Cooper's not doing much of anything, but it's it's no has not even come close to approaching unless you count Gerald McCoy, which I, I think they were taking a flyer on him anyway. It's not coming close to to approaching the the problems that the the Eagles are having with injuries. Nora, the Dallas Cowboys. When you think about them, not just from an NFC East perspective, but from an NFC perspective, where do you have them? Well, I have them. A hair below the Saints. I'm like giving up all my picks here. A, a hair below the Saints, but absolutely a, a contender. Um, you know, what are you I, keeping your picks for? Well, I don't know. Are we gonna do? Maybe we do like a picks thing. We can, but it's not like some people are gonna see this and say, "Oh, Nora, she already talked about the Cowboys and their pecking order in the NFC." So I'm going to delete this episode immediately. You know what it's like? It's like Mike McCarthy having everybody wear. Um, I was nameless to jerseys to the scrimmage. I won't reveal my picks. Okay. I, I don't want to, do you have them as the second best team in the NFC or not? Cause that's not because I think that if you, having them as the third best team in the NFC, if you think they win the NFC East is not a take, but having them above either the saints or the 49ers is a take. Do you have either of those takes ready? No, I have the non take okay. version of that ready. I okay. think they're no, no, like, so do I, so do I, they're either it's, 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 them and the Bucks are sort of where I I gotta make a choice. Oh, mm, I don't know. I don't know. All right, we'll get to that on the picks episode. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? Which I is can't... yet to be scheduled. I don't know. I mean, I just the the Bucks thing to me is really fascinating because I think that I think the one seed is going to be so important this year because they're going to get the bye and they're going to play home playoff games in a weird year and. I think winning the division is incredibly important. And I kind of think you have to pick either the Saints or the Bucks to be in that NFC championship game because I think it's going to be really hard to win on the road this year. But that's Well, sure, but if I'm choosing between 3 episode. and 4. Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm saying it, if we're picking the the final four teams in the in this in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I I won't have the I don't think I'll have the Cowboys in there. I don't think I do either. I th- I think I'm going pure chalk. I think I'm just going Saints, Niners, Ravens, Chiefs. Cancel the picks episode. <laughs> the picks episode is over. So Todd Archer and, and many others reported that on Sunday's practice on TV, the Cowboys will not have jerseys with numbers on them. They did not have numbers on them. Offense was in white. Defense was in blue. This is a quote uh, from Todd Archer. Mike McCarthy believes, believes the element of surprise matters more with no preseason games in 2020. So... Let's unpack that for a second, okay? I've talked to GMs, I, you know, Rick Spielman in today's column being one of them, where they talk about the little differences in evaluation, things like the fact that there's going to be no preseason tape, uh, practice, expanded practice squads so players, so players can just basically get stashed away at a higher rate than, than they're used to. But I don't actually think that there's this element of surprise here. I think that they're trying to hide good players and keep them on the practice squad or whatever because they have more slots. 
And if there's a great linebacker who's working with the twos, who there's not going to make the, the team, they want to be able to keep that. But I don't think that there's going to be like a scheme surprise that because there's no numbers or anything. I don't think there's the Eagles are watching this scrimmage and saying, who's playing quarterback for the Cowboys? Who is this guy that looks like Dak Prescott? We can't make, we can't be positive that's Dak Prescott because he doesn't have a four on him. So I think that there are actually some advantages to not having numbers, but it's not the whole team. And if you're really that concerned, just don't play the players. Don't, if you're really that concerned about some player being discovered or something, just have the scrimmage behind closed doors. Don't have it on TV. Like I, I, I can see every side of this. I actually don't think that McCarthy's being like a huge dork about this. Like, I think that this is not, we're not in Joe judge territory necessarily, but I do think it's, it's kind of paranoid. I would love it. If like, I want to see Dak Prescott and Zeke Elliott show up, like both sitting on each other's shoulders, wearing a trench coat and like Groucho Marx glasses and like CD lambs dressed up as, Hercule Poirot and like, we're just going for it. I love it. I <laughs> um, love the element of I surprise. D- I did not expect an Agatha Christie reference during our Mike McCarthy portion. Maybe the Jaguars portion, maybe the, maybe the Vikings portion, but not, not the Cowboys portion. Um, okay. So I do want to point out. So Jane Slater reported that not every team knew about the rules, the loophole that allowed Mike McCarthy to do this. I would like Mike McCarthy to rebrand as a, a Belichick style rules guru. <laughs> I love that. I love that for any coach. They're also okay. I wasn't going to say this because I'm really invested in not bringing up the Patriots at every turn, which is going to be hard for me. But there was a lot of speculation um, that the Patriots were doing that by uh, not letting a rookie punter punt during training camp last year. And the idea was that he was like a secret weapon, Um, but then he didn't make the team. Did he make any team? Uh, The Bills picked him up. Oh, that's good. Maybe the hype around him not punting got other teams to be like, this is our guy. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, there's there's all sorts of tricks people do. I remember... I remember a coach telling me years ago, five or six years ago, that they really hated when, like, I don't know, like really good, especially ex-scouts or ex-GM media members would come to practice because they would always be really good at identifying like which undrafted bubble guy was really good. And then they would say it like on the radio or they'd say it on TV. And it was like having evaluators or ex-evaluators in the media was, was a huge problem for them because they, they, they really wanted to keep a lot of bubble guys secret. And I just don't think, I think this, the bubble stuff is just so different this year. And I think with, there aren't 90 guys in the roster, practice squads are, are bigger, so it's going to be easier to sneak guys on. I, I just think everything is going to change a little bit. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that this is going to have anything to do with wins or losses. Uh, but I do like Mike McCarthy as the rules crew. What is the most, when you were on the Patriots beat, what is the most kind of preseason practice, whatever it is, gamesmanship that you saw from Bill Belichick? The thing that comes to mind first was when, this wasn't like preseason gamesmanship really though, but in my, so I covered them for four years. And I think after two years was when he stopped giving the rookies normal numbers. But that was sort of like an early symbols. No, he would give them just like insane numbers, like a a rookie quarterback, like Jared Stidham was wearing like 78 or something like it was just bananas. 
And they all thought it was really weird. He should have kept 78. Like when a baseball player, like when a baseball player gets like 64 and he just keeps it forever because it's so sentimental. Well, the funniest part is sometimes you would hear from their moms who would reach out to beat writers and be like, when are they going to get the normal numbers? I want to order his jersey and all of our friends want his jersey and we just don't know. And we don't think that's going to be it. And I would have to say, like, I'm really sorry. Wait till the season starts. There are rules. It'll have to change. They'll get to. But it would it would go in. um, It it would sort of go in the order that they were drafted, um, like numerically, but all the numbers were just bananas. Um, But that was again, it was more of you don't get a real number until you've earned it thing more than a gamesmanship thing. The gamesmanship thing that I've always heard. um, This isn't this is Patriots related, but that. Rutgers when uh with Greg Schiano was always notoriously yeah. horrible with their pro day where they would just, you know, I mean, you're doing a a pro day tour, you get to go to a lot of nice places in the south and California and blah 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 blah. But then you'd be at at Rutgers in New Jersey and, you know, the weather might be terrible and all of scouts, GMs, whoever was there just way off in some corner, like terrible vantage point. Yeah. And the only person who would actually get good information and a good place to, you know, observe was whoever was there for the Patriots because of Bill Belichick's relationship there. But then apparently when Shiana was in the NFL, that was a big issue because he'd made a lot of enemies. Yeah. So yes, that's what I'm going to say. So two things. Number one is that, at some point, the Patriots became a Rutgers graduate employment scheme. I mean, they're just everybody. But the level of hatred for Greg Schiano in other NFL buildings who had nothing to do with Greg Schiano except they had sent scouts and executives to watch Rutgers players was through the roof. It was through the roof. I remember being in a facility when he first got the Bucks job whatever that was, 2013. And this GM, I don't even know the GM. I don't even know the GM. I'm talking to somebody else, and this GM within 30 seconds is like, man, Greg Schiano, what an asshole. And I was just like, what are we doing here? Wow. It was, it was wild how much they didn't like Greg Schiano at the NFL level. And I think I will say, I think there was a, there was such a blowback like once he started to to go down the tubes a little bit, there were tons of stories about how much people hated Greg Schiano. And I think that the early, I think that the the fact that he was so poorly uh, not thought of, because I think people thought he was really a good coach. I think Greg Schiano is a good coach, by the way. This is separate from that. I think Greg Schiano is a really good coach. I'm just saying that those scouts and those GMs love to complain about how they were treated at Rutgers. And that's, part of that's kind of funny because they just see it through their own, sort of experience, but it's also just that that's reality is that that scouts and GMs really like to be treated well. And they base a lot of things on that. It was, it was a hugely impactful decision to make people sit uncovered in the rain in New Jersey. Let that be the lesson. It's not a great state to be in the rain. No. What's a good state to be in the rain? I, as someone who has been through a lot of Florida thunderstorms, I could say, I can safely say that it's usually fine. It's usually hot enough. The sun comes out, you can dry off. Okay. I'm not, I'm not totally against Florida thunderstorms because they're just so, um, 
They're just so quick. I would say Bon Jovi's probably been rained on more than anybody in New Jersey. I'd say I feel like he's just constantly been rained on in different photo shoots and uh, and music videos. So that tracks. That's 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 my take. Oh, noted Patriots fan. John yeah. Bon Jovi. Um, also very uh, famous Taylor Swift concert in a downpour at MetLife Stadium, also notoriously in New Jersey. I was, you were probably not on the beat at this point. There, the, the day that Tim Tebow had his first practice at Foxborough State at uh, at Foxborough Practice Field there, Gillette Stadium, was the same day that Taylor Swift had a concert at Gillette Stadium for the, I believe, the, the Red Tour. Would that be what it was called? So that, or the Reputation Tour? I don't, no, I think it was before that. 2013, probably. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that would have been right. Yeah. Yeah, and I just remember just it was it was very similar yet completely different. Like there was this huge aura around Tebow and everybody everybody wanted to see Tebow, but then like if you were just on the other side, it was all these people getting ready for the Taylor Swift concert. And it was uh one of the strangest days uh I can remember at a at a facility. And also every single feature writer in the world was trying to get Tebow and he wouldn't talk to anybody. I didn't know where you were going to go with that, but I love where, where it wound up. I just, I miss Tebow mania from the, from the Patriots perspective. And, and I wish, um, I'm just trying to sort of superimpose that on top of, uh, because I too have attended a Patriots training camp practice that overlapped with a Taylor Swift Gillette stadium sound check day. And I think of those those days fondly, but it would have been, I think the experience would have been augmented by the presence of Tim Tebow. So I was in my second year in the NFL that day. And the way the Patriots do media availability is, as you know, is in a very small corner. And if you try to get a player one-on-one, it's really hard to get them without people coming in. So I was trying to get a player, may have been, may have actually been Matthew Slater. I was just trying to get just like a general like Belichick anecdote. I don't remember what it was. And every time I would get a player, all the other reporters would just pile in. And I couldn't get any, even one question. And it was really bad. And right next to me was Tom Curran, who was getting, who's been on Rusillo. He just, he's the man. But he was getting guys alone. And someone came up to me and they could see I was getting frustrated. And they were like, you see what Curran has? And I was like, what? And he's like, that's called the cone of respect. And nobody gets in his cone of respect because he's earned it. And he's like, one day you're going to have that. And I was like, man, that's an amazing point. And so I always now judge when I'm in those scenarios, like a Patriots practice, when there's just a huge throng of reporters. If someone gives you the cone of respect, you've sort of made it. I hate that we just did like 10 minutes of Patriots stuff, but I love that we just did like a minute of Tom Curran stuff. It's just, it's, it's the biz. It's the, the biz, cone the cone of, of respect. respect. Well, you're in, you're in my cone of respect, Kevin. Thank you. I feel like I've got a little bit of a cone of respect now. It's not the radius isn't as big, but I feel like there's a it's it's a very, very small. It's not a house. It's like a condo of respect. That's all. That's all. Um, All right. Let's get to some some notes here. Lamar Jackson. um, The Ravens are extremely coy about how much he will be running this year. I thought it was interesting. Jameson Hensley wrote this on ESPN today. He said that. Um, 
Last year, both Steve Bashotti and Jackson himself said they would run the ball less with him last year. They have less designed runs. And, well, they set the record for rush attempts by a quarterback. And Lamar Jackson ranked 23rd among all players in carries last year. So, he, spoiler alert, he did not run the ball less frequently than he did the, the prior year. Uh, but Greg Roman's been asked about whether or not he's going to run the ball. And he keeps saying, we'll see. So, I don't know. Um, John Harbaugh has said that He'd like to see Lamar Jackson take the next step in his deep passing. But I also think that with a shortened training camp and all these guys on Zoom, Lamar Jackson running people over is a pretty easy path to competition. Nora? I think that's right. I mean, we've had this conversation before. There is often a lot to be said for defenses adjusting to players that they've seen more. That adjustment gets a lot harder, one, this offseason, but two, when you're talking about a player that you cannot necessarily physically mimic with guys on yeah. other teams. I I would, there's a reason I don't run the Baltimore Ravens, but I would do it until it doesn't work anymore. What are the reasons you don't run the Ravens? Man, off the top of my head. I don't know. I guess I just, I, I went to college in Washington, DC. I think that was enough time in the mid Atlantic for me. Well, so it's a personal choice that you don't have Eric Dacosta's job. Okay. I just wanted to get that on the record. All right. Uh, if if except if if offered, she would not serve. No, I would. So here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Um, when you first started making this point, I thought you for a second I heard it as Steve Bashotti saying that he was not personally going to run the ball, which is a little bit analogous to my saying that I will not run the Baltimore Ravens. Steve Bashotti is among the most ownery of owners. Like he, when you see him at owners' meetings, he's doing it, man. Like cigar, no socks with the loafers. I, it's a little bit aspirational. It's a little bit aspirational when you see Steve Bashotti at these owners' meetings. Cause so many of these guys try to do like the, I'm a normal dude. Like I'm just gonna wear a golf polo and shorts and just be a normal dude. Steve Bashotti is living and I love it. That's I all. absolutely love the idea of who the oneriest owners are. Well, I mean, I think that there's some owners who, I mean, I think Jerry Jones obviously is up there, but it's that's just pretty, a different. Yeah. I, I, I think Jerry, I mean, I've seen, there's some stories about Jerry Jones tipping people and stuff like that. I mean, I think he's, I, I don't know if he's, it, it's, it, this is a different pod. It's a different pod. The owner, the, the, the owners who, who, who exude ownership, Steve Bashotti is, is, is on the Mount Rushmore. All right. Uh, and I, he, by the way, he's obviously an extremely good owner, and that organization is really good, and that's why one of the reasons you don't own the uh, run the team, Nora. Uh, Alvin Kamara, three days of unexcused absences, appears to be contract related, according to Adam Schefter and Adam Schefter's sources. Um, we're just going to keep seeing this with running backs. Uh, Alvin Kamara is dynamic. He has been a key cog in the Saints machine, and not having him would be a big deal. Uh, how do they get him on the field, Nora? Well, so I'm a little confused on this. Are the I I think by not participating, he can get fined kind of a lot. So Well, it's like a, it's a hold I what has not been made clear to me is it a hold in where he's just like sitting at the trainer's table? Right. Or okay. is he just gone? So this is a good question because what I was originally going to say is that like the hold out is kind of over. The hold in is is now the name of the game if you're trying to get a little bit more money. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know what their their financial situation is, salary cap situation is right now. I assume it's I, I'll tell generally you, I'll tell you, for the last decade, for the Not last great. decade, 
It's been not good. So I'm going to assume that this is not going to end in an immediate huge financial windfall. They are the the Saints are four, five, sixth from bottom, which actually is pretty good, relatively speaking. Uh, they have a four million dollars in effective cap space. Excuse me, excuse me, six million dollars in effective cap space, almost seven. All right, so. It feels, and I believe it's been a while since I wrote this piece, but I wrote a piece a while back. Oh, about- wait, let me stop you right there. Next year, it ap- I want to make sure this is right. It appears they're $37 million over the cap next year. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say, is that a while back before the um, salary cap negotiations were done, I did a story perfect. about who's just not going to be in a good good place next year. And um, those guys are up there. I'm sure they'll find a way to Houdini themselves out of it. but financially, I think the options are limited. What we've seen is that it basically comes down to how much of a problem someone's willing to make themselves. You know, will we see a Twitter fight? Will we see other forms of social media gripes? I don't know. I, I hope, frankly, while I certainly support any player trying to get paid more, it'll be interesting to see just kind of like the test of where that roster is in terms of like everybody feeling like this is the year and, you know, we're all going to band together and rah, 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 because there's been a little bit of that, that, but then obviously when people's money starts coming into the picture, things, things change. So I don't know. I bet it just ends, but we'll see. So I kind of like the Derrick Henry approach in so much that they gave him a bunch of upfront money. They said, thank you for what you've done, but didn't really, tie themselves up for all that long. I think it was 25 million guaranteed over two years, Yep. which again, running backs don't age well, but if you're only going to give a guy two years worth of guaranteed money, that's fine. And if you have the cap space for it, Drew Brees, it sounds like he's going to retire after this year. Um, he's got a TV deal lined up, which is unorthodox. And I think that generally, uh, it's I think their cap situation will probably work itself out, but I, I don't know if right now they can commit, that kind of upfront money to anybody and they can do a longer term deal. But once you start talking about running backs, it gets tricky and not everybody wants to be Jerry Jones locked into paying Ezekiel Elliott for, for the rest of, you know, the rest of time. And so I think that it's a tricky situation. I would try to get him some money or just at least, you know, get him some more guarantees, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, the running back market is tricky. Uh, that's running back market is tricky. Volume 6,422. Uh, last thing, Fred Warner, uh, star linebacker with the San Francisco 49ers to put on the COVID-19 restricted list, reserved list, excuse me, wish him the best. Not much to say about that, except, uh, uh you know, it's two, two weeks out. It there hasn't been a, uh, player pit placed on the COVID list in a, in, in a handful of days. And the success the NFL has been having has actually been quite amazing uh, relative to, to other sports who are not in the bubble, um, but wishing the best for Fred. And uh, yeah, it, it, the NFL appears extremely on track to play in two weeks. That's good news. I mean, I, it was touch and go. It was touch and it go. It really was. I mean, look, I, I think this is the wrong thing to be sort of like this league triumphalist about, but Definitely. I was really skeptical about how things were, were going to go during camp. I, I sort of will reserve any rah-rah until we get to 
the point where teams are traveling and interacting and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, you know, Fred, all the best to him. Obviously don't know with the, with the list, if it's an exposure to someone or an actual positive yeah, test. Yeah. And we and, don't know. And, yeah. We don't know. And that, that's why we're couching it by saying he's just on the list. He wasn't, and, we don't know if he's tested right. positive or anything. So I would just say that it, it's a little bit odd because it almost feels like, oh, they broke their streak, but I would still put this in the category of things are, things are going okay. Yeah. It's, listen, all again, yeah, all the best for Fred, but um, it, as a whole, this has been a pretty successful month for the NFL. I agree. There will be no kind of NFL exceptionalism on this podcast and rooting for the league, um, except to say that uh, we're, we're happy when, when games go off without a hitch. Um, we like football and we like to watch football. And I think that most of America feels that way. So I think that the fact that a week from this Thursday, there's going to be a regular season game is deeply meaningful. All right. Anything else? That's it. Any more Jaguars talk? Isaiah, come on. Come on the line. What's up? What's up? Give us 10 seconds on, on this Jaguars roster move the last couple of days. What do we think? Just tanking for Trevor Lawrence. That's, I mean, it's as obvious as ever. That's it. That's it. That's all we wanted to hear. Thank you, Isaiah. That was, this has been Jaguars Corner with Isaiah Blakely. This has been the recurring NFL segment. show on recurring se- well, lead segment. Uh, we got two more episodes this week. Really fun. We have a Cowboys episode coming on Wednesday. Then we have. A, uh, a fun guest on Friday's episode as well. You guys will like it, so subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, this has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.